we are all waiting in some way or the other for uh, midnight and it'll turn to 2024 whether you are one who stays up all night until midnight or if you're like me and will probably fall asleep by 10. Um, <laughs> either way when the sun rises uh, the new year will be here. Maybe you're waiting for it because you're excited about what 2024 holds for you and your life. Maybe you have a party coming up that you're excited for, or maybe you're excited because this is the year you graduate high school or college and you get to leave uh, the folds of your parents and go out into the new world. Maybe you're excited because it means an anniversary or something exciting. Maybe you're excited for 2024 because 2023 wasn't a great year for you and you're excited to see what new things will come. Maybe you're excited for 2024 because it's just continuing forward and whatever was behind, it's better than what could be behind. So you're excited to move forward. And this season of Advent, the past four Sundays, is all about waiting. Waiting for God's promised Savior to come to this world. And this morning's passage from Luke is the traditional kind of regular sermon or passage you would talk about the week after Advent. Because it happens eight days after Jesus' birth. It's something that happened in almost every single Jewish family. The mother and father would take their child to the temple for the mother to be cleansed and for the baby to be dedicated and to be acknowledged and given a name. And so that's where we meet Mary and Joseph this morning. But before we read that, I really want you to sit with the weight and know that we are all able this morning to read God's word in our language that we can speak, that we get to read. About, up until about 500 years ago, that wasn't the norm. It wasn't, there weren't mass-produced Bibles that we could just read. Usually it'd be somebody up here speaking in Latin uh, up down to the people below who didn't get to have scripture in their own language. Up until the 1500s, did we not really start getting the Bible into everybody's languages? And I bring that up because this is God's word. This is life-giving. It's nutrients that we need. And to humble God's word from God's lips, from Christ's being into our hands, these sinners' hands, is an amazing thing that I get to have God's word right here with me always. How much more amazing now that it's on our phone, we can get it for free. It's constant. That places where the Bible couldn't normally get to because of uh, governments or other things can now get it easily online. And how amazing that is. That should humble us that God wants all people to be able to read his word in their language. And you'll see why I'm talking about this as we read this passage this morning about waiting and waiting well. So if you turn with me to Luke 2, uh, we're going to read through 22 through 40. It's a large chunk of scripture, but I promise anything scripture says is far better than anything I could say. So let's read as much as possible. Luke 22, or Luke 2. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord 
to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was a righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. And he came in spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms, blessed God, and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what had been said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and the sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong and filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Praise be to God, the end of his holy and inspired word. If you would pray with me. Lord, what amazing thing it is to be able to read your word, to know that it nourishes our soul, that it gives us energy amidst trial and tribulation, Lord. What I pray you be in my head and in my thinking, in my heart, in my understanding, in my mouth, in my speaking. Let anything human fall away, Lord, and let only your glory be present. Let your word take shape in our hearts and minds and make us more and more like you and less and less like what we want to be. We pray all this in your precious, most glorious name. Amen. Humble beginnings. Jesus, the word of God, the son of the most high, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, came as a baby the most humble, the most needy of God's created people. He didn't come as this glorious, white-knighted, coming down to slay the enemies of Jerusalem. When Israel was waiting for his Savior, he came as a child. And that's important. It's beyond important. It's paramount to everything Jesus does. And the Old Testament told us and tells us who Christ is and why he came in that way. And he had to come humble because he came for us. He came for a people who were haughty, a people who were prideful, people who thought they knew what they had and knew how to do it. And so God had to teach us through his actions 
how to live humbly, how to live in a way that's a servant, live in a way that serves those who are the most marginalized and downtrodden, those whom God calls his. Jesus was born to a poor man and woman, so much so that they couldn't even afford a lamb to honor their son who had just been born. The Savior of the world was given the poorest of sacrifices on his day of his circumcision and honoring. Two birds, two doves was the cheapest thing you could buy if you needed a sacrifice. They couldn't afford a lamb, so they did all they could, which was two birds. Our Savior, the one who would die later for me and for you, began in a barn, in a basement. And we know all this, right? We talked about this for the past four weeks with Advent. Hopefully, you hear about it constantly throughout the year. And it's a reminder, because Christ, Christ, Christ wanted us to be reminded of who we are. Because oftentimes, we can get haughty. We can think, wow, look at me. I've got it all figured out. Jesus came and saved me. Must be pretty cool stuff. God wants to humble us and remind us about who he is. Now, why does this child important? Why do Simeon and Anna, who've been waiting for so long, get so excited? Well, it's because the whole of the Old Testament testifies to who Christ is. You see, this big book that I was holding up earlier, that I'm holding up now, is not a history book, or not just a history book. It's not a political manifesto. It's not just beautiful poetry or a couple cool stories. It is a book telling us about the Savior of the world, about Jesus. The whole Old Testament is telling us about who Christ is, who Christ was, and who he is, what he is doing now. This Bible isn't about me or you or about a specific country or place or time. It's ultimately about Jesus. If there's one thing you take away this morning, please know that this Bible is about Jesus and Jesus cares about you, you specifically. Each and every one of you. So much so he came in the most humble beginnings as a baby. And this wasn't something that just came out of the blue. Ever since Genesis 3.15, when we fell, when humanity fell, Jesus was promised as the one who crushed the head of the serpent. And then throughout the Old Testament, the people are reminded constantly that a Savior is coming. The Savior of not just the people of God in Israel, but all nations, the whole world. I want to read a couple passages now from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet a couple hundred years before Jesus. But Simeon, in his excitement, in his worship, praises God, praises what he is doing through Isaiah, through this prophet in the words. For when we wait well... I'll get to that near the end. But when we wait well, it's something we, we 
take in God's word. It forms us, it shapes not only how we live, but also our worship. And Simeon does this. And so here are a couple of different select passages from Isaiah 49 and Isaiah 42. Uh, this is 49.6. Isaiah says, he says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. It will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Then earlier in Isaiah 42, it says, I am the Lord and I've called you in a righteousness that I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison of those who sit in darkness. You see, even in Isaiah's day, he knew that Christ's salvation was for all people. Everyone. The person you see when you're driving past and you're like, there's no way that Jesus could have died for them. Maybe it's the person that you're really mad at or really had a broken relationship between. And you're like, how could God rectify that? God came to rectify the broken relationship between humanity and a holy God. He can fix the relationship between anything. And he comes as a baby to fix our relationship with him so we do not die and we do not end in a, in a terrible place, but one of glory. Not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus did. And then verse 16 of Isaiah 42, it says, And I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know. In paths that they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, in the rough places into level ground. These are the things that I do, and I do not forsake them. You see, Isaiah is talking about Jesus. This light he's poking or pointing towards is one that'll burst through the darkness. The people of Israel have been waiting a long time, thousands of years actually. David is promised that his kingdom will never end, but the throne of Israel has been empty for 800 years or so at this point. They haven't received a word from God. The book of Malachi happens about 400 years before Jesus even shows up on the scene. I'm sure the people felt lost, that they felt like they didn't know what they were waiting for. And so in their waiting, they put up idols. They put up things, whether knowingly or unknowingly, they put these parameters before in front of God. They made laws their God. They made... Um, their city, their God. They made all these things their Savior. And when their Savior shows up as a baby, Simeon and Anna are taken back. This waiting is over for them. This consolation, and I'll get to what that means in a moment, of Jerusalem, this consolation of God's people is here now. And what does Simeon do? He picks him up and he blesses him. And he blesses Mary and Joseph and tells them about who their child is and about what he is going to do. You see, there is a response that those who are waiting are supposed to have. And Simeon and Anna show that so well. We'll talk about Simeon's response first and then we'll talk about Anna's. Simeon has been waiting for this. He's been promised by the Holy Spirit. We don't know exactly how it was communicated to him. 
It could have been in a dream or a vision. It could have been Anna the prophetess could have told him. But he was told by the Holy Spirit that he, in his lifetime, would see this thing that his people had been waiting for for thousands of years. What an amazing thing to be told. And when he sees Jesus, he knows. He says in verse 29, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Simeon knows God's word. Like I said, he quotes Isaiah multiple times in this passage. Admonishing Jesus and knowing that God is going to be faithful to his promises. He's faithful to his promises because here is Jesus. Here is the one promised. And so Simeon praises God and shares with Jesus' parents and probably others about that Jesus is this consolation. So what does that mean, consolation of Israel? Um, well, it's, uh, the Greek, is, it's paraklesis, not that you necessarily care about that, but it's an eschological term. It's an end term. term relates to Israel's restoration, deliverance, to their comfort. That the comfort of Israel, the comfort of God's people is here, now. A people who were broken apart, they weren't a nation at this point, they were under the rule of Rome. I'm sure they felt disheveled and scared. But their comfort had come in this baby. And how amazing is that? How excited was Simeon? He danced and spoke these amazing words because he knew that Jesus was this restoration, that all of the Old Testament had come to this point. And now, because Jesus had come, this light was for all nations, for all people, that it no longer God's people were a specific group out in the Middle East, but it had expounded across the world, and that Simeon, Anna, Jesus, Paul, Peter, Reuben, the rest of Christians throughout history were called to bring God's word to the nations, because we're all God's children God cares deeply for us. And he wants us to know about his word. He wants us to know about his son and the comfort and care that comes from that. Simeon comments are twofold. He, he points to the people that their hope, whatever their hope is holding in, should be replaced by Jesus. If they're holding in hope with, with the, the priests and the synagogue leaguers, that they should turn to Jesus. If their hopes in Rome and what they're doing there, they should turn to Jesus. If their hopes in their own power, I had a Hebrew professor who used to call it solo bootstrappa, up by your own bootstraps, that they should stop that and they should turn to Jesus. Because we can't do it on our own. This comfort, this one that we need to cling to and waiting is Jesus. This past week, I was listening to a podcast put on by Dean Weaver, who's the stated clerk in our denomination. And for most of you, you probably don't know what that means. <laughs> He's kind of the, the highest position in our denomination who helps deal with all the business and all of that. But he, he has a podcast that's really good, and it's really short. It's like five minutes. Uh, but he was talking about this passage. And what, what, one of the things he said that really stuck out to me, he says, both Anna and, and Simeon are waiting and they encounter Jesus, this comfort of all Israel that had been meant, or that had been meant at the te met at the temple, 
and Jesus was now the dwelling of God that the temple was in. So for the longest time, the temple, the Ark of the Covenant, is where God's presence was. But now Simeon and Anna saw God's presence made flesh. Jesus was with them there now. Jesus was with them. It wasn't a place they went to. Jesus went to them. Jesus went to us because we couldn't go there. What a great comfort that is to know that God doesn't leave us where we are but comes to where we are and loves us in that spot. And so how does Anna respond? Well, Anna responds with preaching God's word. Right? What, what does it say in verse 38? She began to give thanks and speak to him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. To all those who are waiting for, for their country to be redeemed because they thought that's what the Savior came to do. Anna came and said, look, see this child, the Savior, the consolation, the comfort. This is what we're hoping in. This child and what he is to become. What he is to do. And we know that story. We know that what Jesus' life isn't just, the comfort isn't just in his birth, but it's in what he would do 33 years later, that he would live a perfect life. He'd be teaching and loving and healing those sick, those nailed down. He'd be preaching the gospel to not just the Jews, but the Gentiles and all those across the world. And he would be crucified for it in the most heinous of ways. For showing mercy and love to people. For saving people in the way that God told us he would save them. But not in the way that people wanted to be saved. He would be crucified. and Died and buried. But he doesn't stay dead. That's the beauty of it. Christ raises from the dead three days later. And for 40 days, he goes and teaches more, he heals more, he cares more deeply, he raises up disciples and those who would go out after him. He gives them the Holy Spirit and raises up into heaven and now sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Amen? That's our hope. The waiting for Simeon and Anna is over. And they're excited about to see where Jesus is going. One of the, the greatest references that helped me as I was preaching this morning, um, if you ever find someone who preaches and they don't use any references, be a little wary. We're not in this thing alone. It's important to find other brothers and sisters to help lead us as we, we study God's word. It was from a professor of mine from seminary named Dr. Glad, uh, and he wrote a small book called From the Manger to the Throne. I highly recommend it. It is a very uh, digestible uh, walk through Luke. But he says in that, about Simeon's response, he says, Simeon's response is a work of brilliance. For in 234, we see God's victory over all forms of authority, and it paves the way for the marginalized and the Gentiles to participate in the covenant community, fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah. And he quotes Isaiah 49.6, which is, It is too light a thing that my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, to bring back the preserved for Israel. I will make you as a light to the nations, that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Jesus didn't come just to save and redeem this people and to take them up out of the authority of Rome. That's not what Jesus came to do. He came to save people from themselves, from their sin, 
from this broken relationship that is healed because of what Christ has done and is doing in each of our lives and is continuing to do. It is not something that we just hop a line. All right, I'm a Christian. I'm good to do. I got, I got nothing else. I'm set for the next however long I got. But it is a progression. It is a constant running towards Jesus. Very close to a friend of mine likes to say, we preach the gospel every week because we forget it every week. We forget what Jesus did for us. And we forget it every week because our own flesh wants to put idols or things in front of it and say, I got this, or this thing's got this, or we put our hope in other things. Because right now, you may not realize this, but we are also in a waiting spot like the people of Israel were. Jesus promised that he would come again, and he is coming again. We know it's promised in his word, so it's something we can cling to and get excited about. Like Simeon and Anna, who were waiting, and up until Simeon was told by the Holy Spirit, they didn't know if it happened in their lifetime, because it hadn't happened for thousands of years. And right now, we, as a body of believers, living stream, every other church that believes and confesses Christ's name across this big world is waiting for Jesus to come again. Because Jesus came once to be the light in the darkness, to give us hope amidst a hard world. Every week we pray for our country and our nations and the world, those here who are sick, and we know the world is broken, that it's not as it should be, tears us up inside. Hopefully it tears us up a little bit inside. And Christ came and died for that brokenness, to heal and mend those wounds, to call his church, his people, to go, to wait well. And that's the last thing I really want to implore you on, is to wait well. We are here now, New Hope Presbyterian Church. We're waiting on a head, new head pastor. Eric's doing a fantastic job but his time is, is finite. But ultimately, we are not waiting on a new head pastor to, to, so we can be like, it's XYZ pastor's church. But this is Christ's church here now. And amidst that waiting, we get to build and do amazing things. Our kids' ministry is growing. God is being faithful through prayer and bringing other communities here. I hear constant stories from my youth about sharing their faith. And I hope those in our congregation who maybe don't feel as youthful as some of my teenagers do can see that Anna, at her age, was out sharing the good news of the gospel, telling people about the comfort that comes with Jesus. It should be something that excites us to wait well. This passage is Simeon and Anna acknowledging who God is and that, that he is faithful to fulfill his promises. And we now get to live and tell people how God is faithful to live in his promises. And so I want to end today with three passages. Three passages from God's word that teach us how to wait well. I told my wife as I was sermon prepping, I was trying to think of a, a cool, hip way to, to talk about waiting well and to finish it up. Give you some hot bullet points. <laughs> but I am nowhere near as eloquent as God's word. And so I'd prefer that we just hear God's word this morning when God tells us how to wait well. Two of the passages come from Matthew and one comes from 1 Corinthians. 
the first passage from Matthew 25, 31 through 40. This is a passage about Jesus um, talking about the end of days, shepherding the sheep and the goats, those whom, whom Christ calls his and those whom he claims he never knew. And in reading that, we can see what Christ is calling us to do now, here, today, on December 31st, 2023, and into December, or December, January of 2024. That our waiting isn't behind big walls, but our waiting is going out like Jesus came, out these bridges, out these doors, into a world, teaching them and preaching God's name and bringing his love and his mercy to the world. And so hear the words from Matthew 25, 31 through 40. This is what Jesus is expecting us to do while we're waiting for him to come again. And when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or you naked and we clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did for me. The theme of Luke, the theme of Acts, the theme of Scripture as a whole, the theme hopefully of our lives is bringing hope to the marginalized and those who are in need of the gospel of Jesus. Which if you step out those doors and you look left and you look right, that's everybody. Everybody, we are called to. 1 Corinthians 13, I'm just going to read the, the beginning few verses because it's a long chapter, but I highly recommend reading it. It's normally read around weddings, but I think it's a good reminder of what God is calling us to do. And, and please don't mishear, this, our actions don't save us, right? We know that what saves us is belief in Christ, that Jesus saves us. That even up until his death, the crucifixion of him torn, beaten, flayed, and dying, there was a man next to him who said, you should not be up here with us who are guilty. And even up to his dying breath, what does Jesus do? He looks at him and he says, today you will be with me in paradise to this thief on a cross next to him. That's the level of grace and mercy and love and salvation Jesus is bringing to this world and that we should bring to those around us. We are not judge and jury. We are not wall makers or doorkeepers or bouncers. I've done some bouncing in my day. It's not a fun job. We are called to open the door and be like, here's 
Jesus. Jesus says, come, all to our heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So hear the words from 1 Corinthians. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not loved, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. For love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. If you've accepted Jesus, if Jesus is your Savior, we are called, as Matthew tells us, as Jesus tells us, to go and serve and love those, to preach the gospel to those who need it, to care for their needs, and to do it because we love them, not out of some weird obligation or begrudgingly, but because we love them. I picked up trash a few weeks ago, and I've done it every couple months with a couple students, two specifically. I won't point them out, but they, just through that, have really shown their love for me and this community, and it's a wonderful thing, and I hope each and every one of you get an opportunity to love your community well, even if it's as something as simple as picking up trash on the street. All of this comes together with Jesus' charge to us in Matthew 28. Jesus says at the end of Matthew, And Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them to uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We are called to teach people about Jesus, but discipleship isn't something that once they say a cool prayer, we're like, okay, you're good, and we leave. Discipleship is a lifetime of walking and caring for people. I've, I've worked with students for a long time, ever since I was in college, which may surprise some of you, was almost 14 years ago when I was in college. Um, surprising for me, mainly. Um, but leading and in, in talking to this student named Ethan, um, I, I knew him well in college, and I haven't talked to him in almost 10 years. And he reached out to me a few months ago. I told actually some of the students this. Just asked me for simple advice about this girl he thought about getting engaged to. Just simple advice. You see, when you invest in people, you're investing them for life, for long haul. As we, as a body here at New Hope, invest in our community, we're doing it for the long haul. We're not doing it for some short stint. It's a long, hard thing we have ahead of us. But God is faithful. God is doing amazing things already here in this body right now. We're loving people well at Panther Lake with the Christmas tree. We love people well by opening up our building to other believers. But there's so much more each and every one of us to do, can do and should do to love people well while we are waiting. Let me end on this. Jesus will return again. I promise you that. So we wait. But we do not wait behind these walls. Please, don't just wait behind these walls. 
go. Love your neighborhood, your house, your family well. Teach them God's word. Walk alongside them through life, the ups and the downs into this new year. I don't know what 2024 may bring, but I know that God is there already. That he cares deeply for each and every one of you. And although we wait, we know that God's victory is sure. And so we can have joy amidst the waiting. So wait well, brothers and sisters. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly and Most Holy Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the ministry of Simeon and Anna. They're preaching and, 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 and expositing your word, Lord, and telling others about your son, even as he was a baby, Lord. What a glorious thing that is. We pray that we have their fervor. Up until Simeon's dying breath, Lord, he spoke of you and what you are doing. And we pray that we can do that as well. Give us the joy and the strength and point us ever more closely to you, Lord. Let us not be one to wait in silence, but rather wait pointing towards you. We pray all this in your precious and holy name. Amen.